Hello and welcome to another episode of Pakistanomy. My name is Uzair Yunus and today we're going to be talking to Umair Ansari who is co-founder and CEO of Abhi Finance, a Pakistan-based startup that recently raised $2 million in a funding round with both interest uh, and investments from domestic and foreign investors. Um, they are a platform that provides salary advances to individuals by working with employers. Um, and if, if I remember correctly, they want to be a financial wellness program. So we have Omer here to help us understand what Abhi is doing and how it's, it's trying to promote financial wellness in Pakistan. So Omer, thank you so much for taking out the time and welcome to Pakistanomy. Thanks, Azar. Really glad to be here. And thanks for taking the time to interview the likes of myself. No, this is great. And I'm excited for this conversation because it is something in terms of salary advances. All of us have friends and family who, you know, pick up the phone or send you a WhatsApp every once in a while and be like, yaar, rupay, do, rupay, de do. Ye hai, ya dawai leni hai, ya, you know, the cell phone to the phone ki repair karani hai, ki to de dunga. How did the vision, mission of Abhi Finance, the idea come to you? Uh, what is Abhi? Help the listener understand a bit about how uh, does the startup work and how does somebody who's working in Pakistan get to join the platform and take advantage of the fact that they can get salary advances from you? Yeah, totally. Look, uh, I think you hit the nail on the head. Why are we doing this? Uh, is Financial inclusion sounds great. And digitalization sounds great on paper, and there are many McKinsey papers, et cetera, out there uh, that talk about digital adoption being accelerated because of COVID. Uh, but in reality, uh, I'll tell you that I, for example, order from Food Panda every day, and I'd say 95% of the time, I'm giving them cash. Uh, and it's, it's, it's still not as digital as, as everyone would, would like to believe. Uh, my view is digital adoption is is inevitable, uh, but in order for people to, to really adopt it, it has to serve a purpose. Uh, and for, for this first product that we're focusing on, our whole premise was, what's a manual pain point that exists currently? And how do we make that into something that will allow the person to do it in more of a digital format? Uh, I'll rewind a little bit and, and tell you something similar which happened in other countries, spe specifically in Kenya, uh, where everyone talks about that being really the, the, the holy grail of, of, of financial inclusion through M-Pesa. And M-Pesa now is a fantastic large platform that allows for various forms of credit, et cetera. But the first notion of it and the reason why it was adopted as quick as it was, was the manual pain point where people in the south of, of Kenya were not able to send money north to their families. And so the digital interface that Safaricom came with was basically giving that person the ability to send money back home in a much quicker, faster manner without having to go through the struggles of what was before a manual process. So that is where the I'd say the catalyst comes from and where you build your user base. For us, that's what our thought process is as well. We believe that early wage access or earned wage access is something that is inherently your right. Uh, in Pakistan, and it's just not a Pakistani thing, it's actually across the world, but specifically in emerging markets, a lot of people just don't have a lot of savings. 
And uh, inflation is high in these countries. It's slightly lower here compared to other countries, but it's still high, especially for the average person who's, if you look at their basket, they spend a lot on food and groceries. And that you see in certain months, I mean, the prices of tomatoes or onions move up drastically, for example. And your value of your rupee at the end of the month is actually worth less. And then if you have un unexpected circumstances and you don't have cash in your pocket, you are going to your family and friends and asking them, please give me a little bit of money. If you're lucky enough to have a bank account, then you go to the bank and ask for a loan, but we know how long that takes and how many people actually have a bank account is very minimal. Uh, and third is you go to your company, company and you say, hey, can you please give me an advance uh, and square it off at the end of the month. Now, this brings in a few different problem points. One, it's manual and causes friction. Two, it's a uh, is it kibat, that you don't want to keep on asking for money. No one likes asking for money. And so what we want to do is bring back a little bit of is it and pride uh, to, to the average person and say, look, you've worked today. You deserve to be paid today. So why go out and put yourself in an uncomfortable spot when you really don't need to? And that's the reason why we built our platform and why we call ourselves a financial wellness platform with this as a first product, because it is a manual pain point right now. And two, this brings you a sense of relief after you have the ability to access liquidity when you need it. This is fascinating. And I agree with you on the, is it the, or being uncomfortable, right? You, I can imagine somebody walking in dreading having the conversation with HR or the finance person being like, Yaar, tum you know, or some, <laughs> some snide comment, right? That is totally expected, right? Or some level of right? Like, you know, people don't want to do that. And the app and the platform like sort of takes that away in terms of the making it more comfortable for somebody to get that advance. That is, they're right. It is something they've earned, right? So you flip the, sort of equation on its head as a result. Um, so just help me understand. So you onboard and you work with directly with an employer who then becomes part of the uh, platform and their employees uh, are then eligible to take the advances. Um, how do you um, then think about, you know, looking at the ability of an employer to pay you back? Is it or an employee to pay you back, is it directly, you know, cut from the employer side? And what are the fees involved? So if I am, let's say, a part of the employer that's on your platform and i say you know my salary is fifty thousand rupees can i get ten thousand fifteen thousand a what's the what's the level at which you cut things off and b how much of that advance then do i have to pay you back in terms of fees because clearly you are forwarding some cash on so there are costs involved in terms of your own cash flow so how do you square that circle yeah for sure so the reason for going through the employer is is really to verify the employee as well. Uh, we giving money is very easy, uh, and we aren't an NGO. We and we aren't a charitable organization that just wants to say we're willing to give money and lose it in a sense. Uh, and and that really doesn't serve the purpose of what we want to build. Uh, so when we go through the employer, we're able to verify that you actually are a salaried employee. And secondly, it takes away the administrative annoyance from you as well. Uh, we basically, exactly like you said, we cut it directly from your salary at the end of the month, which is your consent as well as from the, the employer's consent. Uh, and we essentially allow you through with four clicks, 
you can access your, your earned wages instantaneously, right? So literally within the average time spent on, on, on our app is about a minute and a half. And included in that minute and a half is you getting that money directly into your bank account or into your wallet. So we're interoperable. You can go with any, uh, you don't have to stick to uh, a certain uh, protocol. What we charge for that facility and we're Sharia compliant, by the way, is not an interest rate. It's simply like going to an ATM and when you take out money, you get, there's a charge for that. It's very similar to that. So we have a flat 2% uh, transaction charge that you are charged on that. So if you're taking out a thousand rupees, for example, you're charged 20 rupees. That's amazing. And so it, it's a pretty open, right? it's not one of those, you know, because there are these stories as well, especially in the informal sector where loan sharking and advanced payments, exactly. even here, I'm sitting here in Washington, D.C. in the United States, it's a particular issue, especially for those that may not be part of the formal workforce or may not have the full paperwork, et cetera. So you're working right now with um, employers. And of course, a significant chunk of uh, Pakistan's uh, labor force is still informal. I'll get to that in just a bit. But what has sure. that experience been like in terms of talking to the formal employment sector and HR teams and finance teams at large companies? How have they received the idea that, look, we can come and take the hassle out of you? And actually, you know, I'm guessing they would be open to it, but there would be some level of concern. But from my own sort of naive view, I'm like, hey, if you can give my employee uh, and advance and, you know, they can settle their problems and I don't have to worry about it. That's great, not only in terms of the administrative cost, but also in terms of the productivity of that worker, right? Because they're not worried about or spending their time trying to get the 5,000 rupees or 10,000 rupees that they may need for something urgently. So what has been the response in terms of you going out there and having these conversations with businesses? Yeah, it's actually been a lot more receptive uh, than I thought it would be, uh, simply because this is not just an, a manual pain point and annoyance for the employee or the average person, but it's also an annoyance for the employer. Uh, you think about it when we, so we went out and we, before launching this, um, so to give a little bit of background as well, I was working at Morgan Stanley before this, sitting in New York, uh, and I quit that job to, to, to move to Pakistan to launch this. So I wanted to be damn sure that this is something that people wanted. Uh, so we met with numerous companies before launching this and asked them a series of very simple questions. Said one, how often uh, are you, one, are you seeing people ask you for salary advances? And the answer was yes. Second was, how often are you seeing that request come? And they said, mm, every month. I'm like, okay. Three, how, what percentage of your employee base is asking for it? They said it ranges usually between 20 to 100%. When it's around Eve, for example, 100%. Otherwise, around 20%, like, okay. And how often do you provide that to them? In a best case scenario, we got four to five times a year. And a worst case scenario was zero. And these are large enterprises, which have like 15, 20,000 employees, great balance sheet, and they weren't doing it. So I almost flipped the question and said, but why aren't you doing it? You, you clearly have balance sheet to do it. Why won't you facilitate this? And I said, look, it's annoying for us. If we, we do it in a very, uh, discreet manner and for very special circumstances, but the process is employee goes to line manager, line manager to their manager, then to HR, HR to CFO, approval process all the way down. That takes about three to five days. So instead then, of four clicks and a minute and a half, it's taking exactly. like five people and like five days. Exactly. So, and then they're like, but if everyone knows about this and if we do this ourselves, we're just gonna have a line outside the door. 
because we know that a lot of people just don't save. So we would love this pro pro product because it takes away our admin annoyance and we only have to deal with one point of contact, which is you. So you, at the end of the month, you've provided us with an employer portal with you're directly linked into our uh, payroll and HR. We know exactly how much we owe you and we're done. And you deal with everything else. And that's essentially what we do. That's our proposition to HR and, and management, that we make your life easier. And so, I mean, this is fantastic, right? So you start this journey with a customer who may be, you know, thinking about digital payments, fintech, trying to get access to modern financial services. The problem, of course, is not just in Pakistan, in many emerging markets is people don't have cash buffers, they don't have their own savings. And in fintech jargon, that's where the profit pools lie, right? So when you talk about your growth, this is the first product, the other products, um, guessing, uh, and correct me if I'm wrong here, are going to be around financial products and savings products and things like that, that involves literacy, so, or boosting financial literacy. So what are you thinking now that you have started this process, um, you've raised a bunch of money to grow and expand. What's next in terms of your th thoughts in terms of, you know, making sure that this financial wellness journey of the customer continues to move forward such that the, you know, amount of people looking for only salary advances declines and they start having a more long-term outlook towards their savings and financial wellness. Yeah. Um, look, one thing that I think is, is misunderstood about this as well uh, is this product in itself is a financial wellness ecosystem in itself. You were able to create savings through this alone. And I'll give an example of that. Bill, bill cycles are mismatched to your salary across the world and specifically in Pakistan. So imagine you're paid on the, the fifth of every month, but your electricity bill is actually due on the 26th of the previous month. Suddenly you don't have savings in your account you're incurring late fees because you don't have uh, uh, money coming into your account to be able to pay off that electricity bill in time. Typical late fees in Pakistan for any product, whether it be electricity, whether it be school fees, et cetera, range from eight to almost 15%. So what we're doing is saying, hey, listen, you don't need to pay those late fees. You take out your money now, pay that off, and you actually net net savings. So suddenly you're creating a savings buffer automatically right? Your, so charges are not going out of your account without you even knowing. And that's money you can save for today. And even if you take it to consumer level, sales, right? Sales sometimes hit on products that you want, but you just don't have the cash to be able to buy it. So it's great that it's 20% off, but if I don't have cash to buy it, it doesn't make a difference. So for us, like you can access that right now, right here, available at 20% off, and you still have savings at the end of the month. So for us, this is in itself a savings product as well. But as you rightly said, there are other products we can bring out along the way post this. And this can range from uh, investment opportunities. This can range from a savings product. This could range to insurance. But the idea is I don't want to, I could look, we can sit here and come up with numerous ideas of, of what products we should launch, which makes it look very easy to do. The hard part of this and what I really want to focus on, which our team, who is fantastic, is very customer centric. And what I mean by that is I'm not going to come out and say, hey, this is the product I think you should have. Our team is constantly in front of customers and saying, hey, what is a product you want? 
What is it that you don't have access to? So I honestly won't even tell you what my next product is because I don't know what it is yet. I know it's going to be a financial product, but I don't know in what form that product could be. But I know that the customer base, once we've built that trust with them, and this is why we're going credit first as well, and why we're going to the employer to get to the employee is trust. We want to be your trusted financial provider. There's a big mistrust, not just in emerging markets, but even abroad when it comes to financial institutions. I remember when we, we ran a small pilot, uh, the biggest problem we had in the first two weeks when we weren't seeing transactions, we went and ran a small focus group. And we asked them, said, what don't you understand? And this was a very simple uh, methodology we did. We literally just put posters around the office saying, if you want access to your salary in advance, send, here's a WhatsApp number, contact us, we'll, we'll get you money. We had no transactions in the first two weeks. When we ran the focus group, uh, the, the interesting finding of it was the trust factor. We asked, why aren't you doing this? Was it, do you not understand the instructions? Like, no, we understand it. Like, okay. So then why aren't you doing it? Do you not need the money? Like, no, 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 we really need the money. Like, okay. So then why? Are you not sending through requests? Said, what's the catch? Where are the hidden fees? What are the late payments? Uh, who are you? I, I don't even know who you are. Uh, and that's where it cemented the idea that we have to go through the employer because when your employer endorses a product, you trust your employer. It's almost like a parent uh, children thing, right? If, you, if your dad says, have some ice cream, you know you can have the ice cream. Don't have, don't have ice cream from strangers, right? And so for us is we, we wanna be that trusted provider we want to build a journey for you to get out of debt traps. That's my first, that's our first focus. I want you to get out of debt traps. I want you to be able to save money. I want you to be able to be at ease when it comes to your financial wellness and being before we bring to you another product, because that's where the mutual trust is built. And that's where I can say, hey, I know where your pain points are and this is what you need next. So a very simple example of that could be that I notice over six to seven months that this one customer is taking out 10 to 15,000 rupees a month. Now, I know what their, their salary is. I'm noticing that you're doing this every month because you don't have a savings buffer. My next product could be very simply, hey, this month, instead of taking 10 or 15, take out 20. And of that 20, put five into the savings product I've created for you. My, our goal would be that if we fast forward a few years, early earned wage access will actually not even be our largest product anymore. It should be that you don't need to access your salary in advance anymore because you've learned how to save money and be, be able to know how to manage your money in a much better way. And that's why we call ourselves financial wellness. That's why we focus on financial literacy in a big way. I don't know if you've seen lately, but we have a fantastic intern group and our head of marketing that's focusing solely on financial literacy and coming out with TikTok videos, YouTube videos, content, which is much more friendly in a manner. People get scared of financial institutions. We wanna be friendly to you. We're saying, listen, this is how you do it. We're your average uh, Joe Schmo as well. And this is how you should be dealing with your with your money. I particularly love the fact that you mentioned that, you know, if a user starts today, 12, 18 months down the road, 
the salary advances part of their transactions with you should actually go down. That in and of itself is success, right? Both from you and in terms of what you're trying to achieve, because if that goes away, then they will be more inclined towards other savings products, more long-term investments that improve their lives, but also are great from you, from your perspective as a business, because you started this journey where just you're just giving them money for a fee. But now they've matured in terms of their understanding of their own finances, their financial needs, savings for their children, for education, medicines, et cetera. And that's essentially success. So I particularly love that side that you already have identified that success means that that advance uh, for a customer as he matures or she matures is going to go down and we need to have more better, better products for them. Which brings me to the financial inclusion problem in Pakistan, right? It's something that I've talked about on this podcast with folks. I know we exchange texts about the fact that this is something that you're particularly passionate about. Um, it continues to remain a problem in Pakistan far bigger than you know other emerging markets. You look at India, you look at Bangladesh. It, there is still a problem there, but it's not as big of a problem as it is in Pakistan. Now that you're in the industry, you're on the ground, you're engaging with people like why is it the case that Pakistan has just lagged so far behind in terms of being able to provide access to modern financial services to the vast majority of the citizens? Like, why are we so far behind on this? Yeah, look, I think it was a regulation thing as well. One thing I'd say that is, has turned uh, very quickly, and Raza Bakr has done a fantastic job with this from the central bank perspective. Uh, he's really allowed for now digitization to to take off and the incentive to be there for the average person look at them they were like i said we're not an ngo and uh, i did this with the with the notion that i don't believe uh, a lot of non-profit organizations can actually fix this uh, i believe private sector is actually a much better way to fix problems versus public sector uh, as long as public sector allows for the rails and ability for the private sector to work unhinged. And I think that's what's changed. And that's only been recent. So why Pakistan lags behind places like India and Bangladesh and other places in Indonesia as well, is that the regulators in those countries opened up a little bit sooner comparatively. Uh, and now Pakistan's just catching up and it's catching up in a quick way. So it's it's been really, it's been, it's, been, it's been really interesting to see and pleasantly surprised on my side to see this happening and supportive from all parties. Uh, I'll tell you, for example, before I came here with the notion that the banks, everyone bashes the banks, oh, big bag banks, and they're, gonna, they're not doing their job and they're stifling the way of fintech and they're going to do it themselves. The banks are working with fintechs now. Uh, it was my last option when it came to funding, when it comes to my balance sheet going forward, because I thought, no, nah, the bank's never going to work with a fintech company. But it's the complete opposite now. Uh, and I couldn't say that's the same thing about even two years ago. Uh, when I first started working on the idea of this project, I came across, I met with a lot of the banks and the regulators, and at the time, it was, there was no way. It's like, no, we'll, we'll lose ourselves. Why should we? But that's changed. Uh, so I think that mentality shift is, is what's allowing it to happen much faster now and for us to play the catch-up game versus what was there before. I'm going to try to get you to make some predictions, um, given that this morning I was reading that Paytm across the border in India is about to, it has filed for its IPO, raising about a billion plus dollars 
um, a great success story, but it's not even number one in terms of its own space, right? So the fact that it is raising over a billion and has is such a hot in-demand IPO is fantastic news for everyone else in the fintech space. And it's great news for markets like Pakistan. But what I wanted to ask you is from your vantage point, make a prediction, how soon is it going to be that the fintech business out of Pakistan, forget about a billion dollar valuation, but how soon do you think somebody goes out into the public markets and raises equity in a big way and like changes, you know, the, the entire way in which the Pakistani market is viewed? <laughs> That's a no, it's a, I know it's a, it's a speculative bet, but let's, I mean, you know, let's, let's see what you think about it. I wouldn't be surprised if within the next year, those companies that have been working in the shadows that had to work in the shadows because there wasn't that much regulatory support, et cetera, um, that now have it would be coming out and surprising us with a large equity raise. Uh, for the first time across sectors and not just FinTech, Pakistan has, has had next to no series A's, let alone series B's, uh, and onwards. And that's now starting to happen in a much faster fashion. And not only from a perspective of uh, local companies just growing very well, what you need for that is for foreign interest as well to allow that to happen, because really that's where the growth capital comes from. Those who have a broader vision, longer term vision of saying, I've seen this. It's pattern recognition, right? I've seen this in other markets. I know that I've read this story. I've read this book. It's just that this book I read and reread and played through uh, three, four years ago in another market. And now, again, after our uh, kind of raise, uh, and we're not raising any more money anytime soon because I believe in execution, um, but the, the amount of inward interest into Pakistan from large institutions like your Sequoias, et cetera, into Pakistan now is massive. It's finally come on the map. Uh, it's still early days, but there are those companies who are far ahead comparatively to me uh, and, and what we're doing here at Abi. So I think those companies that have strong traction, which are working in the shadows, will now attain that capital. And we, I won't be surprised within the next six to eight months, we have uh, a large announcement from the fintech sector. I think Pakistani startups, if I and correct me if I'm wrong here, but so far in 2021 have raised more money than they did in the entirety of 2020. And I was sort of comparing it to 2019. I would argue that it's close to, if not more than 2020 and 2019 combined, which is fantastic yeah. news, right? And I think there's a lot more uh, to come in the next few months. Um, so this is, it's great, which brings me, you, you mentioned you know, we've talked about the opportunity. There is a lot to be done in, in the market and a lot of growth um, coming our way. Um, but then you mentioned regulation as being something that was sort of lagging and now it's catching up, especially from the central bank. And I fully agree with you that Raza Bakir and his team have done a fantastic job in terms of, you know, changing the conversation in a big way. And I think that that's what they've captured the imagination of people, both domestically and internationally in terms of what they're doing. But from your point of view, um, I've spoken with, uh, a few startup founders was on the podcast on the side. One of the things they keep bringing up is like, you know, talent is a problem. There are some other problems that come up from your point of view. What are some of the biggest challenges that you've encountered um, foreseen or unforeseen uh, when you move from the United States to Pakistan that, you know, you were like, hey, I probably, you know, these still keep me up at night. What are some of those challenges? Yeah, I would say 
you know, talent is tough. Uh, there's a, there are a lot of talented people here, but it's also not their fault in a sense because they haven't been exposed to to different areas that would allow them to be able to work at a capacity level that they could. So I'd say getting people who have strong work ethic and the skill set that you need is, is, is a diamond in the rough. It is, it is difficult, but that's something that can be harvested as well. Uh, and I think that's where you, you almost work in reverse order. You find someone who has strong work ethic, who's hungry, who's the willing to grind, and you give them the tools to be able to, to, be able to execute, and they'll surprise you. Uh, so I don't want to jump on this bandwagon that, oh yeah, talent is tough, et cetera. Yeah, it is, but isn't at the same time. It's a matter of, and look, I'm coming, I'm, I'm coming from a privileged background in a sense of have, being able to have worked in the US and other markets where uh, everyone has access to a lot of things very easily. Um, over here, they don't, but it doesn't mean they're not as hungry. And it doesn't mean that if they're not trusted, that they can't execute to the same manner. It's just that you need to give them the chance and the tools to be able to do so. Uh, and that's something that I've learned coming over here. And the other aspect as well is I think a lot of people still run their companies over here and even in the startup space, very much like a SETG mentality, right? Like you work for me and you answer my beck and call. And I think that's what's changing amongst the younger generation as well. And that's not just a, a Pakistan thing, but it's an international thing. Um, but specifically in Pakistan, what's changed is access to social media, YouTube, TikTok. You see what's happening in elsewhere in the world. So you know that you don't need to be working in underneath those kind of conditions either. Uh, so as I've, I've, I've really been surprised to, to be able to, to take individuals who just didn't like where they worked and therefore were stifled and weren't given free opinion. Uh, and if you give them free opinion, they have creative ideas. Pakistanis uh, who were born in Pakistan will know Pakistan better than me. I am, I am the cowboy. I am the Gora who's coming from abroad. I'm not going to come here and tell you how things should be done. All I can say is like, this is the vision of what I believe and I've seen in other markets that can work. But localization is such an important aspect of this. And you need to work with the system in order, and the people who work in that system to be able to build a formidable enterprise. So, and I think the whole work from home aspect, I mean, one thing as well, which I think I struggle with a lot over here, and I think what's there before is the, the gender inclusion aspect of this. I mean, the rest of the team, you can ask, ask them, I'm constantly, one of the key kind of focus, like, please, we need to hire more women. We need to hire more women. And we have, we have quite, quite, quite a few, but our, our majority of our interns are, are women as well. Uh, and before I get it, the local nuances, right? The safety is an issue in Pakistan. So do you not hire a woman just because that person is like, oh, they, they can't stay late. Uh, they have to go home early. So the work ethic isn't there. Like that's not a work ethic thing. That's a safety issue. But now in a, in a world where we have remote capability, hey, if you're working from home, what do I care? As long as you're getting it done. And I think that's what's changing now. I think there's this underbelly 
of Pakistan who were the freelancers before, right? They, they, and we know that Pakistan's one of the largest freelancer markets in the world. Why is that? Did you think like US enterprises are doing this out of charity and the UK or U, uh, European countries are doing call centers or whatever it may be free freelancing for engineering out of charity for Pakistan? It's like, no, you'd have good talent. And yes, there is the economical factor where it's cheap, but you need to have basic competency to be able to fill that role. And now if I have the ability to be able to do that domestically, but give the freedom to these freelancers to be able to earn a good wage and work flexibly, happy days. It works for both of us then. So I think you just have to flip it on his head. I, I may be one of those that, that tends to be a little bit optimistic, but that's how I've kind of treated the manner over here. There's no use in, in bagging it. I think you take, you take the, the problem and flip it on its head and say, well, how do I make this into a solution? And I think that that's a very important point, right? And I, you know, the, the younger generation thing, people also love to bash on that, that they're not, they're privileged and, you know, they're not as hardworking and they don't want to keep their head down. I, I disagree with that notion. And from your points, I gather you do as well in the sense that it's more about them not wanting to work hard work and, you know, it's less about that and more about the fact that they know their position in the world and they know what that they have ideas and they want to be respected for that right and the safety mentality or this mentality that you work for me and i know everything and therefore you should not have an opinion uh, is what drives some people nuts in terms of when you know the younger employees are like i have an idea and i remember that when you talked about localization i was thinking about so my conversations here in terms of you know the in indian fintech space and i was like well why did the qr code become like so popular across the country where tens of millions of merchants have QR codes in front of their shops, like, you know, paying the chaiwala with the QR code. Like, why, why did this happen? It was localization because people on the ground realized that these uh, vendors had cell phones. They wanted to be part of the digital economy, but they were not going to be part of digital economy where they had to swipe a card or they had to enter a, a, a number on their device to connect with the customer in front. I was like, oh, if that's your problem, you want simplicity, let's just put our, a QR code, right? And nobody has to do anything. And all of a sudden the vendor is like, yeah, if you want to put up a sticker on my cash register that says, here's the QR code to pay on Paytm or phone pay or Google pay or whatever, more power to you, man. Like, you know, that was localization. Exactly. Um, the, the US market still operates on this uh, point of sale system that is given by Square or whatever that you have to swipe your card or tap your phone or whatever. And it, it's something that just never picked up in India because people didn't, they didn't have also that trust, right? Like, what's the catch? If you're giving yeah. me a point of sale system, what's your catch there? Yeah. Um, from, from a talent perspective, then are there um, things structurally that startups or companies um, or even through a public private partnership that you think can be done? to accelerate this right one of the things i always uh try to you know tell younger people is like one of the things you start a startup one of the things that you should do coming out of this like be a proud alumni and then go do your own thing how do we make that possible where there's a culture um a bigger a better culture of being part of an ecosystem where you know i come and join umair and work at abhi and then a year two years later i've sort of done what i wanted to do in terms of burning the midnight oil and i want to go do something else and umair is like more power to you man like you know go do it is is that part of the culture so far in pakistan how do we improve and build upon that too early still i think look we've had we've had it um the Kareem's, the Darazes, um, these are companies, there's a Kareem generation, right, in Pakistan. 
that these guys have worked and seen how a you can be with a company that can grow fast, benefit from it, and work in a different work environment where you're respected. It's not about the hours you put in, it's about your efficiency of hours. And this goes into what you were talking about in terms of younger generation and, oh, they don't work as hard. It's like, no, 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 it's a very different thing. You shouldn't, you look at progression of nations, for example, countries like Sweden uh, or the Nordic region are probably the most advanced from a, a socio-political standpoint. And they've endorsed the four day work week. <laughs> and they still have fantastic efficiency when it comes to work, because the idea is, Working 24 hours a day, or even find that's extreme, working 15 hours a day, but it not being efficient is useless. That's just FaceTime, right? That doesn't do anything for you. I'd rather you work eight hours of the day, or even if you want to work six hours a day, but if you're efficient in those six hours, that it lets you do the same amount of output as someone who is working 12 hours a day, please go ahead. I don't, I don't need you to be here. My, my end goal for you is, is for you to be able to work as efficiently as possible. And then for you to have free time for your family, for your friends, for your own well-being. And I think that's what the younger generation realizes. Like, screw this. We've seen our parents uh, work day and night. Uh, the outcome hasn't been fantastic. Uh, for 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 majority of people uh, over here, I'm given the tools. I'm given the respect to be able to work in a different manner. We have also technology allows that to happen. Tech, as technology progresses, it the whole purpose of technology is to increase efficiency, right? So if I have the tools to be able to work much more efficiently, then let's do it. And so that's the the aspect I'd say that. Is, is, is coming through. I think hopefully within the next two to three years, I mean, I just speaking to, to uh, uh, one of the, the team members to, yesterday and he was saying like, I love how we're working, et cetera. It's giving me the idea of knowing that in a few years time, I can go out and build my business. And I'm like, yeah, great. I would love that for you. Uh, and I'd support you being able to do that. But, that learning process happens with these kind of institutions. While other companies, if you go to your boss, you'll be like, oh yeah, I'm doing this, I start my own company. And the older schools company is like, what? No, 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 no. you're here. You're I need like to give you like, more work. You have too much yeah, free exactly. time coming exactly. up with ideas. Why are you focusing on other things? You're an indentured servant almost in a sense. So it, it goes into that whole, that, that aspect. And, and look, this also links back into exactly what our, our product is as well and what we do at Abhi. Right. It's when you are financially independent, you are able to think with more clarity and you're able to say, hey, you know what? Screw you. I don't need to work for someone like you who's going to mistreat me. I have other options and I have savings in my bank account or whatever means I have to be able to make that change. The only time you don't have that option is when you are completely financially constrained. And that's not the optimal idea for an employee. You want the employee to be financially well, because that opens up so many avenues, so much creativity for them to be able to add to your organization and then be able to do their own thing. So where are we in the system? I think we're still early days. We have Kareem that's done that. The, the, some of the employees that have come out, ex-employees that are doing it right now. Um, but let's fast forward three, four years and hopefully we do see that. I hope 
that someone out of Abi, for example, uh, hoping we don't go bust, but if if we if we are hopefully successful, we have companies, we have people within our company who launch their own thing. Share a bit about your own journey. You obviously mentioned earlier that you moved from the United States to Pakistan for Abi, and then you know you, you took a big risk, I would say. Um, and probably had a lot of sleep sleepless nights thinking about that decision and then even before and after. Um, but from your own looking back in terms of your own career, your own professional uh, life, like, you know, share a bit about why did you decide to sort of take this bet on Pakistan and what has that experience been like at a personal level? Yeah. Um, so I came from a very institutional background. I was uh, with a hedge fund in the UK as my first job. Um, and then I was with um, an advisory firm called Renaissance Capital for many years uh, and, and lived with them in, in numerous countries like, uh, like Nigeria, South Africa, uh, was able to be in Kenya, Ghana, Dubai, uh, London with them, and then was lucky enough uh, after that to, to work with Morgan Stanley um, and be an investor into fintech and consumer companies across emerging markets. Uh, so I've always been focused on emerging markets and frontier markets and traveled across Brazil, Pakistan, Indonesia, Philippines, China, et cetera. I was living, I mean, my wife probably hated me at the time, but I was living, I was basically traveling three weeks of the month uh, uh, to these various countries um, and investing in companies that do, that allow for financial inclusion to take place. And that was something that's always resonated with me. And it's weird, you know, I, I at first it was the financial mode. I was like, oh yeah, I was looking at companies that make generate a strong return and were growing fast. And those ended up being these kind of fintech companies, which played the consumer. I love consumer psychology. I love the consumer in emerging markets. Uh, why is it that you eat Nimco? Why is it that you have Pakola? Why, how is that branding built? How, what is that affinity towards that product that allows you to continue buying it? Uh, and then seeing that there's this aspect of being able to bring people up from a disposable income standpoint over years through financial inclusion in a very different way. So you look at China, for example, it was when they opened up the financial system to the mass public through FinTech that they moved up from being a 3000 GDP per capita country to 12,000 over a decade, right? Um, this is, we've seen this time and time again with Kenya as well, same thing. And Pakistan didn't have that yet. We, my, I, I do, I like pattern recognition as a, as a, as a key thing. And Indonesia and Pakistan were the two countries that I see as synonymous. Uh, two thirty million plus people, smartphone penetration of X, uh, 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 retail banking penetration of X. But yet we've seen fantastic companies come out of Indonesia, focus on fintech, and very few coming out of Pakistan. And that didn't strike well for me. I'm like, look, we're doing all these transactions and, and seeing all this happen across Bangladesh. I mean, with Bcash over there in India, Sri Lanka, Kenya, Indonesia, Brazil, uh, Nigeria. I'm like, listen, I lived in Lagos. Lagos is, is from a security and daily living perspective is, is, is definitely even lower compared to Karachi. I was like, oh my God, you live in Karachi, how are you adjusting? I'm like, listen, I live, in, I live in Lagos. If I can live in Lagos, I can live in Karachi. It's all about where your benchmark is. Um, so it was about two, three years ago where this kind of came to mind and I was like, you know what? I, think, I see an opportunity over here. Uh, I, I hugely want to be able to do this in a 
a social manner, but also obviously provide it in a, a, a privatization standpoint. And this is where uh, I kind of did a lot of the back and forth between Pakistan and, and, and the US to understand the system, understand the culture, understand the ecosystem. Obviously originally Pakistani, but as you can tell by my accent, I've lived abroad my entire life. Uh, I've actually never lived in one country more than five years of my entire life. So I've always been moving in emerging markets majority of the time. Um, and it was almost a sense of it's not just a time to give back. I've been privileged enough to be able to see this one work in other countries, but also live in, in places like, like DC and, and, and New York, where you, this is at a flick of a button, you're able to get access to things and, and the trust for credit is there and the fear of credit is not there. And I said, why can't we do this at home? And I don't see why it can't be done. Uh, and that's honestly what drove me. Uh, to to work on this and go for it, but yeah, you're right. I mean, I was I was very scared. I, was, I don't know if I'm allowed to swear, but I was shit scared <laughs> the majority of the time before before moving over. Um, and look, yeah, there's definitely times I wake up and I'm still scared of what we're doing over here. But it's so rewarding to see and a trans and to to for the average person when they have access to it and then they trust it. Uh, the amount of testimonials we have from people. Uh, that didn't have access to credit before, that able to use this and not worry and not pay stupid fees is amazing. It's absolutely amazing. Uh, and I think it's just the beginning. Uh, whether I'm successful, where we're successful at Abi uh, with what we do or if it's someone else, um, I don't care. It's, it's the idea that the system and the people being able to benefit from this. I hope that we are the ones who are able to lead the charge, uh, but I know it's just the beginning. No, I think this is amazing and I agree it is only the beginning and there's a lot more that needs to be done that I think Abhi is you know, uniquely positioned to do. Um, last couple of questions. One thing like now that you, you haven't lived in any country for more than five years, what is one thing that you would like to see change uh, in Pakistan in terms of the way things are? Not from a professional standpoint, but from your personal experience of living all over the world, particularly in emerging markets. Simplicity. Things are a little still very archaic when it comes to processes. Uh, simple things like when you sign MOUs, it still needs to be on stamp paper, and that stamp paper has to be attested. And then this, you have to go to this Daba place which stamps it, and then it's this big paper like this long and has to go like two different places. And but like this should be seamless. Why can't we do DocuSign? Like this is very simple thing. Why? What? Why cannot we have a localization version of DocuSign? Boom, Sorry boom, boom, to interrupt boom. you here. I was um, actually talking to this uh, about this with a friend a month or so ago. I had to like go to a car dealership and like you know leasing a car, and they were just like opened up on the desk. The desk turned into a screen, and all of a sudden we were just signing our documents on that table. And when the transaction was done, ten minutes later. Um, the person just was like, hold on, just let me get you this. And I was like, okay, probably going to get a printout of the documents that we just signed. And she came back and gave me a USB stick and was like, here are your car documents, including your title and registration all on a USB, right? And I agree with you, like in Pakistan, it's like, I still have like people here in Washington sometime are like, hey, can you like, you know, tell me who the right person at the embassy is because I need to get this document notarized and attested and then it's coming in FedEx from stamp paper from Karachi and then can you FedEx it, help me FedEx it back please, yeah. etc. And you're right, it's just like, why are we still doing this? Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, it, that's the part which is like really surprising, which I didn't have exposure to before. Even my pals, like when we were getting the registration at, at the SECP, um, 
they were, and we got, I got the passport and all that attested already, but they said, no, 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 because our holding company is in Dubai right now. I said, we need you to go and get it attested in Dubai. We need to know that this person, Omer, is actually the person the passport. And my co-founder, Ali, uh, he, he's, he's like, I don't understand what's going on here. He's like, I'll come and bringing, so I went physically. He literally like took me to SCCP. We went from the person who's like, see, this is Omer. This is the passport. What attestation do you need? He's standing in front of you. Omer and sorry, look at the picture. It's me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Acha. Okay, okay, fine. But that's only because we like were able to get to the right person for them to be able to, the average person doesn't have that, right? So then what they had that person would have to do, and especially during COVID, it was a nightmare. It was gonna take us probably a month, a month and a half to be able to get that process done. To get sent documents to Dubai, then Dubai for them to go to the UAE, to the Pakistani embassy over there, get it attested, sent back, then sent here, da -da -da, then attested over here by the UAE. And like, it was gonna be a nightmare. Uh, which didn't make any sense. Like I'm, I'm here. We can do this very simply. So I think that these, there are these processes and bureaucracy which is still there. Uh, I don't think it changes overnight. Uh, but hopefully that stuff gets a little bit easier. But again, you know what? That's a barrier to entry. Everyone asks me like, what's a barrier to entry? I mean, anyone can go to Pakistan and do this. I'm like, please come try <laughs> good luck good luck getting the seccp like to attest get, get your attested documents but i think that's the thing right when people at a macro level talk about ease of doing business and the ranking pakistan has is it competitive or not as an economy and my view always is like yeah the ranking is not that important it's about the processes that are there at a micro level. you have to study those things at a micro level talk to people who have gone through the process and then fix those things the ranking is not the obsession it should be the the steps that somebody has to take to open a company in Pakistan, right? Exactly. Or to get a utility line connected uh, to yeah. not even an SEZ, just to a place where they want to do their work, right? Are you providing the right incentives to have broadband connectivity or not? That then ties into, okay, if you're laying a fiber optic cable, who is going to give the permitting to dig the hole or connect the, you know, put the cables on the utility poles? All of those things, the number of days you keep adding to it, the slower growth becomes. And that's yeah. what the bigger macro number comes out to be. So it's a lot about we ignore the micro level things uh, to our own detriment sometimes because like, well, those things are harder to fix and th that should be the focus. Exactly. I'd say, and I'd say one other aspect, which I hope changes over time. Silicon Valley or any of these countries which have uh, entrepreneurship as the center, um, I'll tell you a simple example from YC. The reason why, I mean, when we're part of YC, the amazing thing about YC is how the companies within the US who are part of YC help each other grow. They're like, hey, here's a product that I'm coming out with. I need to build my user base. Please help me do this. And all the companies who are within that ecosystem, in the current cohort, ex cohorts, tying together and be like, let's help this happen because your success is our success and that's how we build together. I think there's still, and it's not to put this about anything, I think it happens across emerging markets. It's a, you meet someone in the same ecosystem and instead of it being like, hey, let's collaborate, it's like, hey, I can do that too. So that's a great idea. And then you'll finish the meeting and then you'll hear that this person is trying to launch it themselves. Like, okay, fine. I mean, I guess you wouldn't, everyone wants to compete with each other when really, if you just all work together, you'll probably build a much more, a larger ecosystem and a much larger uh, base comparatively. But 
hopefully that happens over time. And the I think that's, that's also there at some level because the fact that the economy is structured to be a rent-seeking one, right? So there's only yeah. so many rents to go around. So if Omer is having higher rents, it means Ozer's rents are going down and therefore I am incentivized to, you know, undermine Omer and not grow together. Whereas in the yeah. startup ecosystem, if Abhi is successful five years down the road, I would say Abhi's success would mean at a very at a very crude level, back of the envelope, growth of Pakistan's e-commerce system, right? Why? Because Abhi has increased financial inclusion. Higher financial inclusion means better access to credit. Better access to credit means the consumer is more secure, which means that they can go buy the washing machine or the new cell phone or the new laptop or whatever that they want because they have access to credit, right? Which means that technically speaking, if you're a small e-commerce company, you're incentivized or should be incentivized to partner with Abi in the sense that, hey, if I help these guys, you know, grow and thrive and solve their problems from a business, from a process, from whatever point of view, uh, tomorrow they can be the, I'm forgetting the name of that US business, but that now does, um, the, they break up your payments into small chunks and you can buy a Peloton or whatever on them, right? Yeah, yeah. It's like buy now, pay later phenomenon, right? Exactly. And that's what it is. It's like, okay, Amazon is okay putting that on now, even though they might view initially them as a competitor saying, hey, it doesn't matter because if you're helping my customer buy the new $2,000 grill that they like, um, more power to you, you know? Yeah. Like help me exactly. solve that. Um, last question or last two questions, if, if there are a lot of people, and I've noticed this in the comments and the queries I get from especially young people, um, there's been a shift in Pakistan from my generation, at least, that was like, okay, I'm coming out of IBA or LUMS, and I'm going to go to Engro or Unilever or PNG or Shell, uh, to being like, I want to go to a startup or I have ideas, I want to start a startup. What's your advice to those young folks who want to either join and thrive at a startup, let's say at Abhi, or who have their own ideas, how should they go about thinking that, hey, I'm a 20 year old coming out of college, like, how do I think about setting myself up for success in this space? Goals and goals and key deliverables. I think one thing uh, a lot of people think is everyone has a grand vision, right? Uh, and everyone reads the, the fairy tale stories of the end result, Amazon, uh, even Kareem or uh, anything elsewhere, right? Uh, but they're stepping stones. So what I tell anyone, and we're doing this ourselves as well, why are we not coming out and saying we're going to do 5 million products? I mean, it's easy for us to come out with at least 10 products, for example, off the get-go. Focus on one thing, execute, deliver on that, and then your ability to do, go out again and repeat becomes that much easier and your ability to raise capital becomes that much easier. It's very, it's, it's, it's similar to uh, completing, how do you get promoted within companies as well, right? It's the idea that you're given a task uh, and you achieve that. And after you achieve that, I believe in your capability and therefore I give you a raise and give you a promotion. But take that outside. That is actually a very good way of thinking about how you want to build a company as well. And if you're going to do, if you're willing to do that for an organization where you have no skin in the game uh, and where you're just collecting a paycheck, why not do that for yourself? So have focus. I think one thing is that a lot of people come out of university and just don't have the focus. And it's, look, you're young. I don't think I had focus when I was uh, straight coming out of university. But if you can, determine and say, this is what I want to focus on. This is what I want to achieve. Articulate that 
put together a plan to be able to do that in a step-by-step -step format, you will not only one be able to raise capital to be able to do that, but you will also show, even if you fail at it, which is fine, I think you should, you will fail uh, numerous times. I failed many times. Uh, but if there's a methodology behind your failure, then the next person still will be willing to back you for your next venture uh, or your next endeavor. But if you had no process in place, then you're just running around shooting by the hip. And that I'm not going to give, no one's going to give capital for. So I'd say the single most important thing is focus and delivery. Focus and delivery. Don't worry about social media. Don't worry about looking good in front. Forget, put blinders on. Put blinders on and don't worry about anything else. Focus on the task at hand. I think that that's great advice. And I think that's what buys you credibility, right? Especially in a smaller startup ecosystem like Pakistan's where people know each other. And if you're like setting yourself up as somebody who's a great tech engineer, a great operations person, a great strategy person, you start at a lower level and you deliver in the next three, six, eight, 12 months, the reputation follows you throughout, right? And I think yeah. people look up and notice and that that credibility is everything. Um, takes a long time to build, takes a short time to destroy. So I think that's another thing people need to be careful about. But Omer, this has been fantastic. And before I let you go, I always ask my guests this question, what are two or three books that have deeply influenced you that you would recommend to viewers? For sure. Um, so one of my earlier books I love is Siddhartha. Um, so that's probably one of the earliest books I still continuously read. Uh, very short read. I just grounds you, I'd say, is it's, it's the best way to put it. Um, so that's one. Uh, two uh, would be Kite Runner. Uh, I, that, I mean, obviously made into movie, et cetera, as well. But I just, it's, yeah, that, that's one book I definitely still love. And then from a business perspective, uh, I love, and I recently finished it, and actually it's a book that I require everyone who joins Abhi uh, to read is Hooked uh, by Nirael. Uh, and it's the idea that know your customer, know your customer, know your customer, know your customer. That's the starting point uh, and ending point, to be honest. So, so yeah, those would be my three. And I think Hooked like, links back up to your philosophy at Abhi in terms of being customer-centric and trying to solve their problem versus telling them what you think their problem is and therefore the solution ought to be. And I think that's a great uh, operational philosophy to have. So uh, you guys are doing great work. Uh, I know there's a lot of growth ahead and a lot of sleepless nights as you try to achieve that growth. Um, but wish you all the best. Thank you so much for taking out the time and joining us here on Pakistanomy. And hopefully when travel resumes, I would love to catch up in person next time in Pakistan and maybe do another catch up in person. Definitely. Look forward to it. Thank you. Thanks, Zah.